Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. In some of our recent podcasts, we uh, would take the opportunity to do some, uh, let's call them deep dives into very specific areas of the law, uh, often going a level or two deeper than we had been able to do in previous discussions. And that leads us into some some great, very detailed uh, topics uh, within the legal uh, industry. Now, today we're going to come back to the surface a bit and concentrate on a basic but uh, very, very integral business component, uh, the contract. So let's get to that. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell. And uh, as we set ourselves up for a, a very enlightening discussion today on, on critical elements of a contract that every business owner should be aware of, we're going to be joined by uh, Lavelle Law Attorney Ted McGinn. Uh, Ted's been a great resource on the podcast in the past, so I always look forward to our conversations. Um, Ted, it's been a while, so welcome back. Nice to talk to you today. Thanks, t- uh, Jim. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So we're, we're going to discuss the... Um, the basic elements and, and purpose of a contract, but let's let's first check on when contracts should be used in business. I, I imagine scenarios are going to include everything from an employee contract, contracts to buy or sell goods, uh, supply materials or services. You know, do most relationships in a business call for a contract of some sort? Yeah, I mean they pretty much do. I mean, uh, you know. Contrary to popular belief, not all contracts are required to be in writing. And so day-to-day, people are entering into contracts whether they realize it or not. I mean, you could see a standard written contract that come your way, of course, but many times you may call a vendor, a supplier, or talk to an employee or hire somebody, and without realizing it, you are actually entering into a contract. And, and when we talk about that type of agreement, a contract, um, what are you know what are some of the basic elements that that are covered then in terms of making it a, a valid agreement? Right. Well, I mean, before I jump into that, let's, let's take a step back and get some perspective. I mean, contracts are really fundamental to our whole entire economic system. I mean, with contracts, and when I say contract, we're talking about enforceable contracts. Really, what a contract mm-hmm. is, it's an enforceable promise. And without enforceable contracts, our whole entire system would be thrown into chaos. I mean, every day people make decisions, they take action in reliance upon the fact that a promise is enforceable. I mean, just to give you an example, if you're in the you know business of uh, manufacturing purses and and the department store calls you up, wants to uh, you know wants to sell you know, a thousand of your, your purses, you're going to take action in reliance upon that. You're going to go out there, you're going to hire workers, you're going to purchase raw materials, you're going to run your assembly line, so to speak. And if at the end of the day, you go to deliver those purses and the department store says, oh, sorry, I changed my mind, I'm not going to buy your purses after all, you're going to be in a lot of trouble there. You're going to have a lot of uh, liability there for which all you have to show for it is purses. You know, you can't pay those employees with purses. You can't pay the vendors of the raw materials with purses. So uh, what a, an enforceable contract does in that scenario, it gives the business owner recourse against that party who breached 
and gives them the opportunity to recover the damages that they sustained. So now jumping into your question, Jim, you asked what should be in a contract. Well, when I'm presented that question, I tell uh, my client, well, what is important to you? What is critical to you? And whatever the answer to that question is, that better be written into that contract. And so two two ways to look at this, and, and I'm, we're trying to get them both in here. You, you know, we're talking about a written contract, which you just mentioned, and then and then the process of of some sort of a verbal commitment. Either way, uh, let's let's just kind of say in either instance, what makes a contract enforceable? Because you you use that term as well, you emphasize it. So, regardless of how it's happening, you know, how does something become enforceable in that agreement, written or verbal? Yeah, that's a good question. The, what, what makes a contract enforceable or what makes a promise enforceable is what lawyers call consideration. Uh, each party to the contract must be getting something in return. And often it's just another promise in return. Both sides make promises, and if, as long as both sides are making the promise in, in exchange for the other promise, you have an enforceable contract. But if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I promise to... Uh, you know, give you a hundred dollars, and later on they change their mind. That promise would not be enforceable because the other party there did not give anything in return. So the key word is consideration, and what that really means is both sides must be gaining something out of the deal. There must be something in return for both parties. Okay. And um, so then let's continue on with the conversation. You know, business moves awfully fast. And, and when you're trying to grow your business, if someone calls you and you pick up the phone, and as you said, they, they want a 1000 in your purses, that sounds good. You, you sort of talk it back and forth and say, yep, I'm going to get started on it. We're good to go. Um, are there any limitations regarding those verbal uh, commitments that people should be aware of uh, in terms of whether they're enforceable or actionable and, and really serve as a as an agreement beyond the consideration? Well, I mean, you, you have to know what the what is the agreement. That's really the big question. I mean, you may have a promise made and another party makes a promise in return. So, you, you know, you, in theory, you have some sort of contract there. But if it gets to the point where there's a breach of the contract and both sides run and get their attorney and the attorneys want to go to battle, uh, a lot of times it comes down to what was the contract, what was the agreement. Now, if the parties go through the trouble of hiring attor- attorneys in advance, where a contract is going to be put together in writing, and you're going to, you know, you're going to negotiate the terms of that written contract back and forth, long time, you know, maybe a long process with various different versions of the written document going back and forth. Finally, the parties come to terms and they sign the document. Maybe you know several pages long, and you have both parties' signature on it. In that case, you have a contract in writing that spells out specifically what is wanted and what is what is in that contract. But other times, like you mentioned, in the fast-paced business, parties going back and forth, there may be a lot of discussions between the parties over the phone, and you know you may have a, a, an oral agreement and both sides making promises, and you and then one side doesn't live up to their bargain. You go to your attorney and say, I want to sue, well, you file that lawsuit, the burden of proof is on the plaintiff, and a lot of times you may get into an evidence question. What was in that contract? What was part of the agreement? Now, you may not reduce that agreement to a formally written contract, but if you have you know, some sort of written confirmation, an email thread going back and forth, 
uh, a fax, you know, confirming the terms that was discussed on the phone. Some piece of paper that spells out what the parties agreed upon, that may be all that you really need to go to court and enforce that contract. You, you know, a judge is going to ask, what was the agreement? What did the parties agree? And if it's he said, she said, the burden of proof is on the plaintiff, quite often the judge is not going to know who's lying and who's being honest, and he'll rule against the plaintiff because the burden of proof is on the plaintiff, and they were unable to maintain that burden. And, and even in the case where there's a written contract, uh, something is in writing, whether it's, as you mentioned, an email thread or what they consider to be a formal document, have you seen, I have to imagine you have, instances in which afterwards there's a dispute about what was really meant? Well, you know, it doesn't say that. It says this. Um, do you have to be really, really particular about how things are spelled out to try and avoid those situations down the road? Yeah, you really should try to be as specific as you possibly can. I mean, you know, even if you have something in writing, there could be debates and disputes over what this particular document means. You know, anytime you get into business, sometimes business relationships can be complicated. There could be a lot of ambiguity there. And if you're not careful, you may draft some sort of written contract. One party thinks it means this. Well, the other party thinks it means something else. And guess what? Once there's a breach, each side is going to interpret that document in a way that is favorable towards them. And, you know, then you get into, again, you get into an interpretation issue. Um, also what comes into play is course of dealing. You know, if you have two parties who've been dealing with each other for a number of years and a dispute arises and there's a question over what the agreement is, many times a court is going to look to pass con. Uh, conduct to decide, you know, what the parties probably met. And, you know, most likely, of course, going to conclude that, you know, whatever this current dispute is, it's probably what they want, you know, consistent with, with, with the way they behaved in the past. We're uh, we're talking with Attorney Ted McGinn of Lavelle Law on the podcast today. He's, uh, he's been a partner at uh, the firm since 2010 and recently was appointed the new managing partner of the 25 attorney firm. So uh, congratulations to Ted. And you can read about that transition uh, as well as find plenty of other information. We always refer to the articles and podcasts from attorneys on the firm at lavellelaw.com. Uh, great resource of information, as is Ted, and we're, and we're talking about contracts today. And as we move on, you, you mentioned if there's a dispute, it may you know end up in court. A judge is going to take a look at it. If that happens, what what might a plaintiff hope to recover or what might their gain be by, by pursuing a, a breach in court? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, generally the way courts look at breaches of contracts, uh, assuming the plaintiff can prove that there is in fact a breach, the court is going to try to place that plaintiff in the position that the plaintiff would have been in had the defendant complied with the obligations. So, uh, you know, for example, in the situation of the, of the purse, uh, you know, scenario, uh, you know, there was an agreement for the store to buy, the, the thousand purses, there would have been an agreement as to a price and the fact that the buyer didn't come through, you know, courts will probably look at the price that was agreed upon per purse and may render a judgment against the defendant for that amount. Um, so that's, that's called compensatory damages. You know, they're trying to compensate the plaintiff for the lost damages. Sometimes, though, damages may be difficult to ascertain um, and in certain situations, uh, parties in a written contract may in advance 
try to agree upon what attorneys call liquidated damages. That's just an agreement in, in advance as to what the amount of the damage would, would be on a per-breach basis. Uh, if, if you're going to do that, that is something that should be – it has to be in writing, and the amount of the liquidated damages has to be reasonable and not punitive. Uh, but but that's the you know the the different you know compensa- compensatory damages or liquidated damages, and then in other situations you could have what we call equitable damages, uh, in situations like non-compete agreements where you ask the judge to order somebody to do something else. Now, in in the terms of a business agreement, if I as an individual sign a contract as an agent of my company, am I taking on any personal liability in that process? Well, that's an excellent question, and the answer it is really it depends. It really depends. And, and generally, we advise our clients who are in the operation of a business to use a corporate structure, either a corporation or a limited liability company, to insulate their personal assets from claims of the creditors of the business. Um, and if you do that, then the answer to that question, Jim, would be generally no. Generally, uh, the person who's running a business in a corporate structure would not be personally liable for the contract entered into by that business. Now, of course, there are exceptions, and the one common exception is when a party will ask the other to sign a personal guarantee. And in that instance, uh, basically, uh, the you have two different agreements. You have the agreement by the business, the corporation agreeing to, to, to do whatever they agree upon in the contract. But then in addition, you have some individual who is also agreeing to be liable under that contract. So in that instance, you would have personal liability. Well, um, certainly there's more we could discuss, and uh, we'll try and grab Ted to come back another time. And, and certainly I think the takeaway here, as we heard him mention earlier, is that this makes sense to get a lot of these things in writing ahead of time before entering into an agreement, get the attorneys involved uh, to just do a simple contract as opposed to handling a lawsuit. So we'll uh, leave it at that and let uh, Ted get on with his day. Thanks, all, all of you, for listening. Uh, again, congratulations to Ted for being named managing partner at Lavelle Law. And Uh, That's his new role there. My role remains the same here on Chicago's Legal Latte, so I look forward to having you visit with us again as we bring you uh, more weekly discussions on topics like this. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. 